The technology landscape is exploding, and it has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's so much information out there, it can be hard to know where to start or who to trust. Your host, David Paul, is a seasoned venture capital investor that has founded his own investment firm, DWP Capital. He's a straight shooter that cuts through all the noise to bring you real and authentic conversations with investors, founders, and operators in the startup ecosystem. Join him each week to stay current with today's trends and get smarter about startups and tech investing. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. This is David Paul with the Capital Stack. Today, I am with Danny Lashavo founder and CEO of Bold Leads, which was a MarTech company for a real estate professional for real estate professionals located in Phoenix, Arizona. Danny was successful in bootstrapping his company from zero to 30 million in five years. Danny, how bad did I butcher your last name? Pretty bad, yeah. but it's okay. Say it. Lociavo. Can you like roll your R with that? Or? <laughs> no, you're good. No. Okay, that's good. good. All right, that's great. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. I, I would be remiss to not bring up, at least initially, um, like the most awkward story that we have shared together. You which know? one is that? Yeah, I think you, we you have know, a couple, you, actually. Yeah, you know which one we're talking about. <laughs> but I want to hear it coming from your point of view, because I'm always like bogarting the conversation, and then the guy that like tells the story, I want to know what it was like for you. Is this the... The picture the story. Picture. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to tell the picture story. Oh, man. So I was in... Uh, I was in Cabo with my girlfriend. Yeah. And uh, we were walking to go to like some, some bar mm-hmm. and I didn't get signal um, outside of the hotel. So um, we get to a hotel to like go to this bar and all of a sudden I get flooded with notifications. Um, <laughs> and so I'm like looking through them and then I see one from you on Instagram. Right. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, Meanwhile, weird. like He's we've never had, messaged we, me on we, yeah, we've literally maybe had one like like stop and chat, maybe two stop and chats. Like, yeah, we didn't, we don't like really know each other like no. super well. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. not to warrant this type of kind of message. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I open it, and there's a, a shirtless pic of of you flexing in the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no text, no context. <laughs> Right. So I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're right, looking good. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's yeah. good, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I'm actually off guard. I'm getting a little flushed actually talking about this story because it was so funny because I was doing uh, the 75 hard, which is kind of a workout challenge where you have to take a progress pick every day. Right. And, you know, you do like two workouts a day and a diet and stuff. And somehow I pocket, you know, body picked you. <laughs> You know? He claims it was an accident. <laughs> he said I, it was an accident. Yeah. And meanwhile, like I just see these great pictures of you and this, like your girlfriend, like by a pool. Like I thought you were in like Monaco or some shit. And like I was just like, dear God. Um, Oops. All right, yeah. So I, you know, that was it. So I'm glad you're on the show. I'm glad you didn't, you know, say no or try to cancel me or anything like that. <laughs> but um, super great to to have you. Um, I want to talk a little bit at first about bold leads. Right. And, you know, kind of what were you doing before Bold Leads and, and, you know, your, your, your transmission into that company and why you wanted to solve this problem? Yeah. So it's um, a messy story. But uh, when I was at ASU, I realized, okay, college is not the direction I want to go. This is not for me. Um, I want to start a software business. Why? I had my why? mindset on that. Yeah. Why is that? You know, um, my background's in like user interface design. 
Um, so I spent a lot of time working with other entrepreneurs on designing their software. And I always thought it was super interesting and exciting to build tech. Oh, cool. Um, and so, it, yeah, I was just attracted to, to doing that. And this was probably 2011, maybe. Um, I met this guy in one of my classes. Uh, we were both were not interested in going to class, so we decided to start working on this project. And so we, we built this uh, a very simple um, app that would automatically post to Craigslist to generate traffic to a real estate site to generate leads for real estate agents. Um, we got this idea because uh, one of my clients, I was doing consulting on the side in like design and marketing. Okay, so, like you're, so you're an entrepreneur agent. just agency-wise. You know, I had a whole bunch of side hustles. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was DJing at night, really? trumpet lessons, had a t-shirt company. I mean, I was doing a million different... A DJ? Wow. Yeah, okay. I did a nightclub I, DJ yeah, for no, a while. I, I can see that. I can see that. Okay, all right. Um, so we started that uh, that business, just kind of bootstrapped it a little bit, got to about little under a million in revenue in like the first year on the software business on that business so, wait, so tell me so tell that me was how, called lead magnet yeah so tell um, me why you why you did that um why i did that business yeah like what what like why did you want to solve that problem how did you come to that oh a lot of my design clients were real estate agents oh. um, having me design websites and then they would ask okay now what how do i get clients from this they had no way to drive traffic there was no real good tools out there um, so we kind of found that Craigslist was a free source of traffic for people looking for houses. This was back in 2011, bef- before Zillow was as big. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just automated that. It would drive traffic, and it worked. Um, unfortunately, I don't want to get into the details, but my business partner was doing some kind of shady stuff on yeah. the side, taking out loans in my name, stuff like that. So Cost of doing business, right? <laughs> yeah, I wound that down like immediately. It was brutal. <laughs> Uh, Taking like opening up credit cards. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, it was it was pretty ugly. Yeah. So, uh, ended up shutting that down. Um, I had to move back in with my parents after that, Ugh. which sucked because yeah. they were like, "Oh, you're dropping out of school and yeah. your business well, not I mean, working you were, out." You were, you were and... hanging out with some sort of characters. You're skipping <laughs> class with people. I mean, you're not yeah, going to find true. you know like the utmost, <laughs> know. like moral integrity. Yeah. Well, it's it's a pattern. I yeah. keep, <laughs> keep trusting the wrong people. Okay. Um. So then. Uh, I started this this other business like the next week because I was like, I have to have some kind of income here. Um, and that one was more of just driving traffic and having uh, agents pay for leads directly. And I would just provide them with the leads, nothing else. Um, and that worked fairly well as like a side hustle. Um, and then through that, I met some clients. We started another business that was like a print marketing company to generate leads. Um and that started working, and then I had another issue with a business partner. See, the pattern continues. Well, what's up with that? I don't know. I think I was so desperate to get going that I just really didn't diligence the people I was partnering with. I just trusted blindly. What did the partner What did the partner have that you needed? Capital. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was easy money. Yeah. I mean, and he kind of sold me this bigger picture that never really manifested. Were these older guys or same guys? Or? Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I was I was super young and experienced. You know, There's a jobs. lot of guys with money that um, just try to like ride the the um, the horsepower of younger entrepreneurs. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that for might sure. be the venture capital model. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> that might be that might be what I do. But <laughs> but, go, but go ahead. Um. So after that didn't work out, um, that print marketing business, it ended up. Um, 
being acquired a couple years later, but for parts, but, uh, I did learn a lot of what not to do. Um, I learned what that client base, real estate agents and brokers liked and didn't like. So I used all those learnings and spun off pretty much immediately after I wound that, I exited that one, uh, this company called bold leads, which, um, generated tons of leads, um, for real estate agents, buyer and seller leads. And we had like a automatic landing page, uh, system and autoresponders that would send texts and emails and automated, uh, home CMA reports with comps. And I mean, you, you name it, it was pretty sophisticated and we were really good at generating leads. Um, but when we first started, obviously it wasn't as sophisticated and I had no resources because coming off of two pretty ugly failures. Um, so I was like, I begged my parents, like, I'm down to my last couple hundred bucks. Can I have some money to start this new software business? Okay, so not quite bootstrapped. Uh, not <laughs> no, quite I'm just bootstrapped. kidding. I'm just kidding. So they gave me three grand. Okay. And so I was like, all right, I, I think I can okay. make this work. Yeah, okay. I gotcha. Um, friends and family. So luckily I had some contacts in India uh, that I've used for development in the past. Mm-hmm. So one of my buddies was over there. So I worked with him and I was like, what can we do for two grand? Can we build an MVP? Mm-hmm. Uh, work with me here. I'll design everything. I'll spec it all out. And we we pulled it off. Um, the first version was kind of ugly and mm-hmm. it was more of an educational platform. We offered like a landing page and a basic autoresponder. But uh, you had to drive your own traffic. And I think we sold that for like 100 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I had been working and selling to brokerages and stuff in the past, I already had lists. Mm-hmm. So the day we launched, we had 50 clients already paying customers at 100 bucks a month. So that took some of the pressure off. Um, Because I would just blast out an email saying, hey, check this new tool out. Um, And what year was that? I want to say that was 2000. That was like early 2014. Okay, so that was really before a lot of venture capital went into tech that serviced real estate agents. Yeah. Am I right? It was pretty early. That boom was like 2016, I feel like. Yeah, we we were a little early uh, to that. Which was good because there wasn't a ton of competitors fighting for ad spend. That's true. And um, it was also at the time when Facebook ads were just barely starting to uh, mature. Like it was still very early um, in Facebook ads. And so I just got super, super into social advertising. (laughs) Right. Um, Like to an obsessive degree. Mm -hmm. And so... I used that knowledge and some exploits that I found to basically get to our first, like we did a little over a million in our first year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was all through Facebook ad, uh, like lead generation for us. We had, I hired two salespeople off Craigslist, mm-hmm. paid them commission only. Right. And they were just closing these deals. I was just bringing in some leads. And all your dev was outsourced. All the dev was outsourced. Um, yeah, it was very lean. Yeah. Very ugly. Right. We made it work somehow. Yeah. yeah. And so was it the tech was good? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it worked. Right. It worked. I mean, we started on a shared HostGator server for like $19 a month because I couldn't afford AWS or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was before they were giving away credits. Right. Right. Now right, it's right. a whole different world now. Yeah. It was. Yeah, we'll get to that for sure. But uh, yeah, so that we ended up just scaling that business. Um, I brought my mom in. Um basically play the role of CEO uh, because I wanted to focus on tech and marketing, my, my specialties. And she's really good with people. 
And I quickly learned that to build a business, it's all about managing people, their expectations, their needs, all the issues they have, HR stuff. You have to have a lot of empathy. Yes. And and like enduring empathy, not just for a day. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Like you actually have to, (laughs) you have to want to want to help people. Yeah. Right. And like that is, that's, you know, I mean, I try to play operator every once in a while and. You know, I'm great for short bursts, but you know the, the it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, and you know I'm much better at what I do now. Um, so, just to step back a little bit, um, and I do want to talk about bringing your mom in because I think that's really, really interesting. Is um, how did you know you kind of hit the product market fit that you needed? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think I had a, an advantage because I had been selling and working with real estate agents and brokers and people in that space for a while um, in different contexts. And I already kind of knew exactly what they wanted. I already knew the space, the tools that were out there, the gaps that, that were in the market. Um, so that's basically kind of how we, we just launched it um, by looking at what, what, the, what the needs were that weren't being met. Right. And you were doing that while making money. And I think a lot of people take that for granted is that you actually did the sets and the reps before you actually built out your your, your technology. I mean, we had product market fit day one. Right. Because that was our advantage. Right. Because you spent years talking, conversing, (laughs) knowing what was out there. It it was basically like four years of customer development that I really, at the time, I didn't realize that's what I was doing. Right. So, um, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's amazing today, like, because there's so much capital out there that how. I'll talk to a founder that's in a space that I know there's a, a big player in and I'll mention the name and they'll be like, Oh wait, I think I've heard of them. And I'm just like, dude, how do you not, if you're going <laughs> to, yeah. if you're going to go all into a space, into a, you know, in a platform, not know anybody, everybody who just like, just merely touches could touch your customer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just, it just, it blows my mind. For sure. And it's because um, I think it's a lot easier to build a company than it is to get product market fit. Oh, it's super hard. Yeah. I mean, you talk to tons of these founders. Um, it's pretty rare to find somebody that has product market fit within the first year. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, like actual real product market fit, real retention, mm-hmm. you know, uncorrelated customers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was, that was definitely our, our advantage, I think. So did you, so when you looked at the real estate market, um, because i I'm in a real estate tech company too. Right. So, um, <clears throat> I, and I want to talk a little bit about that real estate market because that, that company was a complete dumpster fire for us, you know, because, yeah. of, because of the customer churn. And, oh, yeah. you know, we, what we saw was an incredible amount of growth, like stupid growth. And I mean, we're talking north of 10% month over month, but we would see three to 4%, but we were growing 10% or three, three or 4% churn, but we were growing okay. 10 to 15% a month. And we're like, okay, well, like who cares? Right. <laughs> And like we we just saw this rocket ship. Like we can we can we can figure out this churn piece. Let's just continue to try to get market share. And what happened was is that you know, and I want to get your opinion on this later. Let's put a pin in it. Is actually like how did you segment the market of real estate agents? Because that is extremely difficult. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. we would we would actually go in and um, we would sell, and then eventually we thought that this was such a small, tiny niche market that venture players uh, would not come into it, and we were dead wrong. And the space got flooded with venture dollars and the price of acquisition went sky high. And 
we were just playing feature parody at the point. And then, you know, they would just, a real estate agent would go to a next conference or see the next coach Mm -hmm. and they would pull your system out and adopt a new system. And so our churn eventually just kind of ate our growth and we couldn't, you know, offset that with, uh, with customer acquisition. Yeah, we definitely saw a crazy churn. Um, That was by far our biggest issue that honestly we attacked it from every conceivable direction. I've talked to everybody. Um, I became kind of an expert on combating churn in SaaS environment. Um, and, you know, we tried everything, you know, longer-term contracts, like locking people in, um, improving onboarding, providing a one-on-one coaching session. Um, you name it, we tried it. Um, we poured tons and tons, millions of dollars into trying to retain. And ultimately what we found, um, you know, there's all the best practices out there, like, segment things out, offer different pricing plans, all these these different uh, tactics. But ultimately what helped us um, the most was breaking down, you know, the number one reason why people are leaving. And it was, it's too much work to get ROI from the product because I actually have to call these prospects and I actually have to send emails and texts. And I just don't have time as an agent or a broker. Hmm. They have a million things going on. So we looked at that and said, okay, we see the problem. We get why people are leaving. How can we solve it? So we came up with this thing called Text Concierge, which effectively was um, a team of people in our office that would text leads on the client's behalf and set appointments. Um, and it sounds kind of nutty, but it worked really, really well. Oh, I'm sure. And that team alone, I mean, it was a team of like five people. They drove maybe $50 billion with real estate transactions. Oh my God. Like it worked really well. And so that actually became our flagship product um, near the end of that. Before I left that business, that, that was more popular than our previous hero product, which was this, the lead generation engine and the data uh, predictive analytics and stuff. Um, because that was the main pain point in the market that we just always kind of assumed, well, that's your job as a real estate agent. You have to call the people to show up, set up listing appointments, right. show up. Um, but it's time-consuming, and it's not fun. And a lot of people in real estate, um, they don't have sales backgrounds. Um, they don't have business backgrounds. It's, it's their second or third job. They're just relationship people. Yeah, and they just want to show up and get their commission check. Um, and so, I mean, that's part of why churn is such an issue in real estate because they're cash-rich one month, cash-poor the next month. Um, because they don't have that business experience. And so that obviously creates issues if you're trying to get predictable revenue from them mm-hmm. um, on a monthly basis. <laughs> right. That so, causes a, that's a little wrinkle. It's an issue. Yeah. Um, because they yeah. might not be a real estate agent. They might actually just fold out of the business, and then also the real estate market might, might not be as... Um, oh, the turnover is insane. Because yeah. there's, 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 everyone in Arizona has a real estate license, but, <laughs> not, but not all of a sudden buying software because they might just do one or two transactions a year for friends. Right, right. So like what it yeah true. so when you so how do you break down the real the real realtors versus the fake realtors or the passive income realtors? Yeah, I mean so we tried to segment that market. Um, it's it's difficult. Couldn't uh, do it. You can do it by like transaction volume. Um, you can do it by like agent level, brokerage level, um, enterprise level, which is like um, franchises or even I mean we had clients like Zillow and Realtor.com and stuff like that uh, that we would work with. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough market to attack for sure, mm-hmm. and you just have to really if you, if you're selling into real estate agents, you have to have a really powerful growth and customer acquisition engine that's going to be profitable long term. Mm-hmm. 
um, because there's going to be a high churn. I've looked at a lot of these companies in the space. Cause a lot of them reach out now, sure, and everybody's dealing with it still. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them way worse than we were. I mean, I've seen companies like 15, 20% user churn a month. Ugh. Yeah, you can't build a business. You can't like build that. a business. Yeah, no, you can't do it. I don't, so, I don't care what the growth is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't. You get on. That's the math. That's hard. But <clears throat> okay, so that's um, that is super interesting. So just to segue back, so you stepped aside to really focus on technology and marketing. You put your mom as CEO. Yeah, and <laughs> did you call her mom? That's a good question. I don't think I did. No, I don't think I did. Okay. So you, you, you kept it a little professional. Like, I tried to give it professional. Yeah, so you wouldn't be like, Mom, what do you think about this? Like, yeah. uh, like, on a, like when you're in a team meeting? Well, it's funny. I mean, it, it started out as like, I just need this to work because I'm tired of products failing that I know have potential because of bad partners. So I just looked at it as like, who is, who's the one person I know I can trust completely? And that was your my mom. mom. Yeah. And she was also <laughs> you a real estate broker. Have, yeah, you'd have a lot of problems if you yeah. trust your mom. That's true. <laughs> right. But you'd be surprised. I yeah. Mean, no, family business environments are, are well, messy. Rough. Yeah. Um, I just really lucked out there. And she was a real estate broker. So we used her brokerage as kind of like testing ground for a lot of the new stuff, new features, new ideas. Um, so it really worked out well. And it actually kind of flourished into this a real family business. My dad came on. And helped run HR. Wow! Because he was a psychologist and counselor, mm-hmm. so he's amazing, very empathetic. Yes, great Sounds with people. Like right. Um. He and he kind of served as a magnet for talent for us because mm-hmm. people were just super attracted to his persona. Interesting. For whatever reason. Okay. And my sister, um, I brought her on as a project manager, and she crushed it. She actually is the one that built the text concierge product that took over. Wow. So I really lucked out. Things just really fell into place. Um. So definitely. And were you still that. living at home at the time? No, no. Okay, no. so because that would have been pretty <laughs> incestuous. Right? That would have been weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, okay. Yeah. I, I I do really like that. I I I really respect that. I can hardly be on a text thread with my family, right? Without <laughs> like an absolute explosion. Yeah. <laughs> occurring. Um, so you you hire an all star team, right? One that you trust, and it's working. And yeah, what happens next? Um, you know, we kept trying stuff to keep, keep growing. Um, I got very, very good at customer acquisition, lead generation. Um, some fun facts, like 200 million Americans have clicked at least one of my ads. Wow. Um, we spent, uh, I don't even know, over 200 million. million Americans. How many, there's only like 360 million, aren't there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. You made a lot of ads. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> a ton of ads. A lot of ads. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was your What was your ad budget most mostly? At, oh man, in a month, at your peak. I don't even know. It was It was a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it was It was up there. I mean, we spent probably well over hundred million just on Facebook ads. Wow. Um, and we still didn't have an ad rep at Facebook. Facebook's right. great to work with. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm sure. Yeah, we just got really good at. Um, getting people to engage with our our material, capture that data, use that data in like lookalike audiences um, to generate more data, to, to find people that are actually have some, some level of intent to apply for a loan or sell a house or buy a house in the next 12 months. That was kind of our competitive advantage is that our leads got better and better and better the more data and more ad spend we had. 
is the algo. You had the pixel in your ads, and it just got smarter and smarter. Yeah, and we would, I mean, we'd do some pretty sophisticated stuff where we'd pixel to pixel to pixel. It was like Whoa. inception of okay. ads. <laughs> wow. But, um, and then we would use other ad platforms and focus on stuff that's emerging. Like um, at the time, Yahoo had a platform called Gemini that no one was using. Um, so we really leveraged that. Um, and Google, of course, is the king. Um, but yeah, always staying on the cutting edge, I think, was our advantage. Um, and yeah, just eventually scaled that business. Um, to, yeah, about 30 million ARR and or just under 100 employees. Wow. So That's incredible. And so what about hiring the rest of the management team? Was that difficult? I mean, were you in yeah. the software ecosystem at that time? A little bit. I was very heads down and like... Because I was in this town since 2015 and like I'd never heard of you. Like, and that doesn't mean anything because, you know, we were pretty myopic on what we were looking for and we mm-hmm. were out of state too. Right. So that, that speaks to your, yeah. you know, tenacity to work, not, you know, anything else. Right. And not, you know, I was very focused. Right. Yeah. Kind of sacrificed everything and just focused, uh, solely on operating and trying to grow the business. Um, and I really didn't know what other, what that world was outside of just operating, and growing a business by bootstrapping. Mm-hmm. I wasn't familiar with venture capital or debt or how to acquire a competitor. Um, so yeah, it was just like, our just run as hard, as fast as we can um, and try to bring on people that'll help us get there. So nobody tried to throw money at you. We had a couple of like private equity groups that would reach out, but um, I didn't really entertain anything. Because just, of lack of trust or... I just wanted to get the business to twenty million. I was just so focused on that. Okay, um, you had a number. Yeah. Okay. So at first it was get it to five million, and then it was like year two. I was like, oh, we did that. Oh, okay. Let's go to twenty. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So you asked about hiring the management team. That was definitely a challenge. Um, because you're in Phoenix. We're in Phoenix. The town pool's a little, at the time, it was was not as strong as it is now. Especially in, in marketing. Um, in mar- Yeah, yeah. In my- I, we never actually found uh, a great marketing leader until the, the year that I left. Um, but, yeah, hiring a management team was, was definitely a challenge. Um, luckily, you know, there are some some hubs like Infusionsoft or Keep now mm-hmm. um, was one that we, we would poach people from. Um, and then there's other hubs like WebPT and some of these other giants that would attract talent mm-hmm. and that we could benefit from. But yeah, it was definitely the hardest part was trying to recruit, hire, incentivize, and manage managers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, no, I could I could imagine that. And so 100 people in your company, right? 30 million ARR, and you added this tech-enabled service towards the end mm-hmm. that brought your churn down. What percentage would you say? Oh man, it's been a while. At least thirty percent. Wow. Okay. Like yeah. So that's yeah. meaningful. It's oh yeah, it made a difference. Okay. And so, why sell at thirty? I was burnt out. Sure. Um, I was also worried about the real estate market. It had been so good for so long. Mm-hmm. Was, it just didn't feel sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was also worried about. Uh, we were pretty reliant on advertising and social advertising. And, you know, 
the pattern of, of new social ads or ads in general is CPMs always rise over time. Um, conversion rate always starts to decline as people jump in and there's more saturation on the platform. So I was kind of worried about where that was going, where the real estate market was going, and I was just exhausted. We were all, we were all exhausted. <laughs> Did you see a lot of competitors start emerging and trying to buy your buy your terms and target your audience, or do you think that Facebook eventually is like, dude, these guys are doing too well. We need to like you know raise their price of their CPM. No, I just think it's the nature of of advertising online, right? Because it's an auction, so the more people that are bidding, the right. higher you're yeah. So you're gonna pay. So, but people, so you would, so you would see competitors starting to, to oh, for up. sure, tons, tons. It never, it didn't really impact us too much though, um, because our growth engine was so strong. Our VP of sales is probably the best in the state at selling, mm-hmm. um, and he built a very, very strong sales team um, that were very incentivized and motivated and high energy, and um, that just kept us going. Is we would just outsell whatever the problem was. You know, they say revenue cures all ills. Um, that's kind of what we lived and died by. <laughs> right, exactly. And then so. you and you fix you fix the you fix the problem with the service. Yeah, and yeah, that's how we address. When that. you were going into um, when you were going into a process to sell bold leads, mm-hmm. did you catch any flack for that piece of the business as it not being a fully automated SaaS platform and the value of that revenue? As far as software revenue versus service revenue. Correct. A little bit. Um, we definitely caught the most flack for churn in general. Right. I feel like that's all I talked about for nine months while we we're going through the process is churn management. Why is churn like this? How do we segment this out? Um, and ultimately, it's it's like, look, it is what it is. That's what the, the reality of this market. Mm-hmm. There's no company in this market that has figured this out because it can't be figured out. It's so bad that Zillow won't report on it. <laughs> on their earnings calls. They just flat out refuse to report on it. It's that bad. There's no there's no net retention number on Zillow. They they don't talk about retention or churn in terms of specific numbers, no. That so, is interesting. Cuz it's does, it's ugly. Does Zillow have a subscription product? Yeah, I mean that was their that's how they became Zillow is they sold leads to agents and brokers. Yeah, I didn't know if that was a paper drink or if that was a subscription. Yeah, I mean, they have monthly plans. And then they pivoted away from that to the iBuying thing. That didn't work out. Now they're pivoting back right. to selling leads. Okay. So, yeah. Gotcha. Lots happened. Yeah, so you see a lot of... Yeah, so our our company, and this is kind of what we noticed, is we thought there were a bunch of disparate tools out there for the real estate buyer. And the investment thesis was is this was a platform that could have... Um, all the consult, we just bundled everything up, right? It all comes back to bundling and unbundling. Mm-hmm. So we took a bunch of the features and we bundled them up. The problem is, besides lack of execution and bad management, was that um, none of our features were actually, were like 80% less effective than the features that were out in the market, uh-huh. <laughs> right? So we really were not good at anything um, except for a couple of things that really didn't matter. So, and we did, like our integrations weren't good enough. <clears throat> That's a common pattern though with people that are, are bundling, trying to be the all-in-one mm-hmm. and all-be-all solution. It's hard to do everything well. Yeah. No, it is. Um, especially with so much money going into these little niche solutions. And, yeah. you know, I don't I don't think it's, now that we're talking about it, I don't know how necessary it is to be like a traditional platform anymore. In real estate or in general? In general. In general SaaS. I think you could build great businesses without having this monolith of, of features. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's kind of how things are right now. It's pretty fragmented. Yeah, it's pretty fragmented. And, and what really matters is how great your integrations are. Yeah. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah. And how much sure. it works. Um, okay. So you sell, got a yeah. ton of money. Did your parents make any money or did you just hog all that? Did you give them any options or anything? I didn't give them a dime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They got no, to brag everybody about Everybody did well. Church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. No, it was a great outcome for everybody. Um, and so I stuck around for maybe nine, Who'd you sell nine to? months. Uh, it was a Providence Equity. Oh, you uh, sold to Providence? Fund. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And what was their investment thesis? They were working on a roll-up for uh, real estate tech, like for brokerages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were just kind of the, we were the main piece of that roll up at the time they pitched it like, Oh, you're just this little bolt on value add. And then we realized, Oh no, we're like 80 plus percent of that entire portfolio. Right. As our revenue in EBITDA. Uh huh. Oh, okay. That's kind of cool. So that matters. They bought maybe five other very small businesses, tried to stitch them together. Um, you know, that roll up pitch is always the same. We're going to consolidate costs, cut costs, Platform. Um, there be operational efficiencies. <laughs> of course, there are rarely every any operational efficiencies. Right. Um, and so that portfolio sold this past August uh, for nine figures to another roll up. So yeah, it's were you completely out by then? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Operationally, yeah. Right. You still had some. You rolled some stock. Yeah. 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 Now you have to. <clears throat> yeah. I, I see today. I see that private equity has. They can't breathe without talking about platforms. Like it's it's yeah. like and value add and platform and you know mm-hmm. we've done this before and blah 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 <laughs> blah. I mean it's it's such a tiring pitch. And um, to your point, I don't think many of these actually work. But I think that every CEO and founder loves the idea of not having to grow organically anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that they can be the guy that buys companies and merges stuff together. And that's like the next stepping stone in their career yes. to make it more interesting. Because I would think it's pretty hard to stay super involved, heads down, organic growth over five, seven, 10 years. Um, it's a grind. For yeah. Sure. It's a grind. So, like, doing that other piece sounds more interesting. And I think that's how they get deals done. Um, I haven't seen it work very often. But what does work is arbitraging revenue and cash flow and not having to operationally yeah. stitch these things together and just literally put a hold co on top of it and then sell them as just these individual entities that are producing cash. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, like that's, that's true. You don't need you don't need to do it, right? So um it's just a I don't know if a company's more valuable if they're stitched together or if you have, you know, separate companies that are producing the same amount of revenue in EBITDA that are not together. Yeah, it probably comes down to the team and the story and right. the size. Right. Um, yeah, totally, totally. So they sold off. And why didn't you yeah. sell? I mean, did you did you think about selling to a strategic? Um, um, so when we've, we contracted with like an M&A firm to start shopping it around, um, it was pretty much all financial buyers that were interested. Mm-hmm. Strategics were interested, but not enough to like put a bid in, in the timeline that we wanted. Interesting. So okay. they just weren't willing to move fast enough. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was all financial buyers. So was your acquisition before or after real geeks when fidelity bought real geeks? Oh, what year was that? Was that? Uh, I think it was like 2017, right? 2018. 
I'm trying to remember. And I remember, I remember it was... We were 2018, so it was probably around the same time. Yeah. I remember they sold for 10 times ARR, and everyone was like, oh my God, they <laughs> sold 10 times. And yeah, yeah, I mean, that's not that's not the case today. That's not the norm. No. <laughs> yeah, no. No. It's like, God. Well, Fidelity tends to overpay. Right, right. Because they bought Commissions Inc. as well for... Oh, did they really? Ridiculous multiple, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, okay. So what happened? How long did you take a break for? And what did you do next? Um, so by the time I left, it was late 2019. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a year off, all of 2020. I'm going to travel. I haven't had a chance to like enjoy my 20s. Mm-hmm. I want to go travel. I want to see the world. And then okay, I went like, on like so one trip and let, COVID hit. Let's, <laughs> let, let's, let's back up a little bit because I think this is really interesting. So when did you yeah. start Bold Leads? That was 2014. And how old were you? 26. Wow. I think. Okay. Okay. So 26. But so the you, past four years, I've also been building and right. been focused, just right. not successfully. <laughs> right. Well, well uh, customer discovery. Mm-hmm. And then, so 20, so, okay, so, all right, so you were 31 probably when you were out, or at least operationally out. Yeah, we sold like a couple months before I turned 30. Okay. Did you find it difficult to be at that stage to know operationally what to do next? Like how you create an org. I mean, you're, a $30 million company is much different than a $1 million company. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So how did you, what learning, how did you, you know, get past that learning curve of, you know, how to build out an organizational structure? Um, trial and error, um, and talking to advisors and people that have done it. Who's your advisors? Um, I actually didn't even have a board. Yeah. Right. Right. That's what I was asking. Like you didn't have, um, a, you didn't it have, would just be like people that, uh, other entrepreneurs, anyone in town. Uh, yeah, I was part of like Vistage and Genius Network and some of these networking groups that I would bounce stuff off of. Genius Network. What kind of what kind of dick bag names, <laughs> their, <laughs> name, names their their networking group the Genius Network? That's <laughs> Joe Polis. You yeah, know he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I just I just can't. I, I hear great things about it. I just can't get over the fact that the fucking guy calls it the Genius Network. Yeah, it's bold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is bold. He's a, he's an internet marketing guy too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <clears throat> okay, so you sell, you spend a year, you go on one trip. Where'd you go? Uh, India. India? To visit uh, my development team that I never met in person, but I've been talked to all day, every day for however many years. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was a trip. Uh, India's a whole other world. Yeah. Um, what part of India? Uh, Kerala. It's like southern... Southern India. Okay. But uh, yeah, that, that you just wild. felt like an obligation to do it. So I've been trying to get him to come out to the States, um, but he was so worried about Trump <laughs> that he refused. A lot of people were worried so, about Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll go over there. That was a concerning time for everybody in America. <laughs> yeah, and the world. I yeah, think. and the world. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I went over and visited. So I had found just an interesting story about my lead developer, I had found him when I was doing like consulting and I was paying him maybe 12 bucks an hour. I found him on like guru.com, one of these freelancing sites, mm-hmm. um, just to do basic like front end stuff. And I was paying him, you know, a very low amount of money to, to knock these projects out here and there. Um, and we would talk all the time. I'd be sending him work. And at the time he was working out of like his parents' house um, in a very rural village with shaky internet on a borrowed computer. Wow. Um, I didn't know all that at the time. Right. 
and he didn't really have like anything. And then when I started boldly, I went back to him and had him build the MVP and then had him build out a full team. And then they got an office and, um, he was able to, to kind of, so in India, economic mobility is super rare because you're kind of bored into this caste system. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of stuck. Um, but there's he was not, able there's to, there's not upward momentum. No, no, yeah. very, very little. And it's pretty rare. So he was able to, you know, buy a nice car. He got married. He had a kid. He built a, a beautiful house. He moved out of his village. He built a house for his parents. I mean, it was just wild to see that that progression when I went and visited and actually saw it in person. Mm-hmm. That was pretty eye opening. Like, oh wow, we did have a pretty huge impact um, on a lot of lives. Yeah, and he has a big team with a nice office. It was like that's awesome. Now, that was, that now, was now he's working for private equity. Now he's working for private equity. He's quite miserable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was really nice you got him that car, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, he's, he probably probably gets on a call every week, you know, asking, you know, being asked who uh, who's the next guy to get fired. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's not a, it's not a good private equity board meeting unless you leave with at least two heads. Yeah. Right. That are gone. Um, <laughs> so you went out there. You yeah. had a sense of loyalty to meet these guys face to face. Yeah. Right. And you did, which is great. But you already sold. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, it's kind of not, um, there was no obligation to do it during there, but like you, you did it anyway because you had a connection with them, which is super cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. So you took one trip, then COVID hits. COVID hit like that, the week I got back. Okay. I was like, okay. Got to cancel. Cause I had some other trips planned, canceled all those. Did you think you might have had COVID because you were kind of in that area? Like India, China. Did you think that you might? Yeah, have, it was a little. Did you think you might have been the guy that brought it back? <laughs> <laughs> that you were Thankfully, the outbreak. I didn't. Guess, yeah, that you were the outbreak monkey. Yeah, I hope not. The outbreak monkey. <laughs> okay. Okay. So no. you. Uh, so you're back, and yeah. um, you. Uh, did you start anything else? Yeah. So, just kind of looking around. Um, it's funny. So my first idea was okay. Well. I learned so much about churn management and how to deal with retention. And, you know, my thesis is that retention is much more important than customer acquisition now because everybody's running ads. It's easier to get customers. There's so many products. Uh, people are switching and hopping from product to product. But retaining customers, building long-term relationships, um, and net revenue retention is what matters most for enterprise value. Okay, so for the, ones, for the people who don't know what that is that are listening to the show, what is net revenue retention and why is um, retention super important within this business model? I think, well, with any recurring revenue business model, your goal is to keep people on continually paying you every month or every quarter. Which means you have to continually show value month over month. Right, right. Um, and that can mean all, all sorts of things depending on what you're selling them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to keep people on, keep them paying, and hopefully more than that, referring you other clients and customers um, and then expanding on what they're already paying on. So mm-hmm. buying more products, uh, adding more seats, increasing their usage uh, of your products, being more ingrained in their daily workflow, if, um, if that's kind of what you're selling them. Um, but yeah, I would say retention is just probably the most important metric uh, in a recurring revenue or SaaS business. Mm-hmm. And it's not as sexy as going out and selling and acquiring new customers, but that's what builds value, right? It's just, it's easier to operate if you don't have to continually go out and, and sell um, more and more clients to outpace 
ones that are falling off and burning. You know, that's really true. That's an interesting thing that you said, because there's a ton of stuff out there about, you know, SDR development, sales team development, you know, Mm -hmm. um, basically, you know, sales org, marketing, MQL, right? But no one really talks about the picks and shovels with with, uh, customer success. Yeah. I mean, now there's a ton of tools. You know, Gainsight kind of led that that revolution. Mm -hmm. But uh, that was kind of the thing I was looking at, the space I was looking at, because it just felt like there wasn't enough. Um, and a lot of companies didn't know what to do. Um, and I was talking to a lot of founders, and it's a common issue. Like, well, what do we do? We're like losing all these customers. It's costing us a fortune to acquire them in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's screwing up all of our unit economics. Um, and there's some very simple stuff you can do. And a lot, it's it's holistic, right? It's like it, it's the product, it's your marketing, it's your sales pitch, um, it's the product positioning, um, it's your onboarding process. It's all the way through the full cycle. It's not just like a little tweak here and there. It's not like acquiring a new customer. Oh, this new ad is converting higher or this, um, this pricing model is better. It's holistic. And there's not a lot of companies that were addressing it right. in 2020. And where do you, where do you find, and this is kind of an, a really open question, but how do you know that you have product market fit if you have customers are all churning and it's not an operational issue? It's not an integration issue. It's not an onboarding issue. But like, hey, you, you're selling a bag of goods that really you know the customer doesn't want at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, um, product market fit is in, it's it's interesting because it's kind of hard to pin down and, and measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people have different definitions of that. But if people are not sticking around, that's a pretty good indicator that there's an issue somewhere in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, it was uh, you know the, the turnover in the real estate market was high, so there's going to be a baseline of turnover and churn regardless that we can't do anything about because people are leaving the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other component was people didn't want to do that, the legwork of calling the leads and texting and all the manual follow up and appointment setting. So we solved that problem for them, and that that made a little improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's always something that you can do. In any business. And I think it's fun to, to kind of look at that. Yeah. So that's kind of where my mind was going in 2020 of what things to do next. And then I was I started going down that path, started sketching stuff out, started talking to potential customers. Um, to build a customer success tool? Yeah, it was kind of like somewhere between a consultancy, customer success tool. I wasn't quite sure what that was going to look like yet. Right. And then I started seeing the numbers and data coming in around e-com e-commerce growth. Right. And I was blown away by that. Like, okay, all these people that normally wouldn't shop online are now forced to shop online. A lot of these people are in older age brackets. Because of COVID. Because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, That tend to be more loyal towards the first vendor or brand that they work with. So if you can establish a relationship with an older consumer, um, during this time when they have no, they can't go to the store to buy this this good. Um, you can kind of lock them in and create a customer for life. Again, it goes back to retention. Um, and so that was fascinating to me. So I started thinking about that, and um, I was running different experiments. I always have a couple side hustles going for fun. Mm-hmm. I get bored easily, but um, there was this the toilet paper shortage right mm-hmm. when COVID hit. And everybody's freaking out, going out to Costco, buying all the toilet paper. No one can get toilet paper. Right. So 
I was talking to my friend Robbie about it. Like, how funny would it be if we just started selling bidets? Because no one uses them in the States. They use them in India. They right. use them overseas. Right. They love them. All right. It would be so funny. It's a lot of opportunity for bidets like, that would in be the hilarious. US. He's yeah. like, let's pencil it out. Let's see. Yeah. So we do. It's like, oh my God, these margins are really good. Uh-huh. Like, okay. So we found a manufacturer. We created a custom design. We branded it. We launched it on Amazon. And what was the brand? Ex- the first brand was Spritz. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable Spritz. I like so it. So that it Fresh. took off. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we realized, okay, selling to consumers. Both of us have you know have been selling B two B software and stuff, and so this was very different. Yeah. Way this is not recurring revenue. It's not recurring revenue. Um, there's no salespeople involved. There's mm-hmm. no real people involved at all once you get the product to the, the warehouse. And so we're like, okay, this is super interesting. Why don't we just do this like a hundred times um, and choose products that are in high demand? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what we're doing now. We kind of figured out um, a model powered by tons of data that we're aggregating to, to see, okay, Amazon's got 350 million products listed. Mm-hmm. You know, they send out like close to 8 billion packages a year, which mm-hmm. is just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you know what products are driving the most revenue? What products have the highest TAM on Amazon? Amazon's kind of its own country, right? Right. Um, the e-com market in the U.S. is about a trillion dollars. Amazon makes up uh, about half of that. So, and, you know, their constitution is their terms of service. Right. So they really are their own country in the way that they function. Correct. Um, so we were kind of looking at it like, how do we capture as much of that GMV as possible? Um, where are the opportunities? And so we we ran all these numbers and we figured out that about 30 products, just 30 products, drive a little over 10% of Amazon's GMV, which really? is about $50 billion, 30 products. What were the top three of those products? I don't think I should tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bidets. It, it, bidets actually is not one of them. Yeah, okay, got it. Um, so that's kind of where... We're focused as far as um, trying to capture as much market share um, in these super rapidly growing um, consumer products. You're able to get that data? You're able to get a lot of data on Did you have to hack some stuff together or did just Amazon provide that? You have to scrape a lot. Yeah. Um, There are tools and APIs out there that will provide partial data. Amazon provides some data. Mm -hmm. Um, They are discontinuing a lot of their APIs. Sure. Um, now Naturally. Explosion in aggregators. Right. You've seen this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. Because initially, um, we were looking at the Amazon aggregators. They've raised almost $14 billion collectively. It's like, oh my God. And what's an Amazon aggregator for the audience? So they these are um, companies typically fu- founded by um, either ex-e-com operators, um, Guys from like Harvard or Stanford that wanted to do, to do a search fund and decided that this is a better path, um, or just you know financial guys um, that are seeing that um, on Amazon they have first party sales that's products that they sell, then they have third party sales that are random mom and pops, um, other big brands that are selling their own goods and wares through Amazon's platform, and so. Um, collectively, that's $390 billion market um, in gross merchandise value. The third-party sellers on Amazon, which are these mom and pops, is about $250 billion. Um, and their average margin there is around 20%. Um, 
So it's a pretty massive market. Um, it's also, I think they said uh, in the next five years, it's poised to double. So this is potentially a trillion dollar uh, market that's just kind of hidden in plain mm-hmm. sight. And so these aggregators have come along and, and realized that, look, took it, taken the roll-up model, saying like, well, why don't we scoop up some of these mom and pop Amazon sellers that are selling these products on Amazon. Um, it's all kinds of random stuff that you see, you know, scissors, mm-hmm. uh, cup holders, all kinds of stuff. Um, but they all have pretty decent margins. They're all growing at a high clip because Amazon's growing at 19% year over year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to kind of exist and you'll grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and these aggregators are just scooping these up and trying to combine them, trying to find any operational efficiencies, stripping out costs, renegotiating with manufacturers, and uh, trying to build a huge portfolio of these. Um, so like the Thrasio is kind of the big name in the space. Mm-hmm. How much have they raised? Oh man. Four They've, or five billion? Yeah, nothing, like that. yeah they it's, definitely raised over a billion. Um, yeah, it's multiple billions. And they attempted to go public through a SPAC last year. It didn't work out for some reason, but mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll they'll get back to that. Um, yeah, they're they're enormous. And so it's a super interesting space. Um because there are, it's very fragmented. You can buy one of these mom and pops for about three times EBITDA. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the plan is just you consolidate that and you get the multiple expansion once mm-hmm. you hit some of these different uh, EBITDA thresholds. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how a lot of these guys are looking at it. So we were initially looking like, okay, well, maybe we should just go and scoop these up. Um, Three times is not that bad, right? And you can build in. Like, Where can you get your money back in three like years, right? And we know exactly what to do to grow them now, um, and to increase margins. And so we started looking at these businesses, and we realized we could get to the scale that this company is at in ninety days, mm-hmm. doing it ourselves. Does it really make sense to pay six million dollars for this Amazon business mm-hmm. when we can replicate this in a couple months? Mm-hmm. And so we decided. Recently, like, no, we're just going to build like a factory, almost like a startup studio, but de-risked mm-hmm. because we have the data. We know exactly what products to launch. Right. Um, so we're just launching as many of those as possible and trying to scale them on Amazon using our, our playbook that we've kind of figured out um, instead of going and, and acquiring them um, and trying to figure out, oh, you know, how are these businesses set up? There's really um, not much opportunity there for cross-selling or operational efficiencies. So the role model kind of makes sense, but it kind of doesn't. So we we decided just let's just go build, just build brands. Yeah, and you hired the whole Lashavia family. I did not. Okay. No, no <laughs> so, they're sick of working with yeah. me now. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're retired. Yeah. Um. Awesome. And so you're doing that right now. Yep. And are you raising money for that? Or are you going bootstrapped again? We're bootstrapped so far. Um. We're we're thinking about raising money later. Okay. But we'll see. You're gonna come talk to me, right? course awesome nice um that sounds amazing so tell me um you know just for the uh for the audience what is the most uh influential book or p that you've that you've read most influential book yeah for sass it's definitely jason lemkin's uh from impossible to inevitable okay um that was kind of my bible he writes good six stuff. years um, yeah, he runs Saster, mm-hmm. um, the the conference and the fund, and mm-hmm. he's he's a force of nature. He's, best he's best piece of business advice you've ever gotten? Um, something I told you maybe. It's yeah. 
Um, best piece of it. I, the one that comes to mind is the time to stop working is when working is no longer working. Ooh, okay. I like that. Was that, was that your story at, um, at, uh, at Bold Leads a little bit? A little bit. I think I was just so tired and I just, I need, I wanted out. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. Hit, my, hit the wall. Hit the wall. Hit the wall. <laughs> yeah. You buying any stocks? Not a whole lot. Doing a lot more private equity stuff. Okay. Funds? But yeah. Okay. What funds stocks. do you like? Um, recently it's been, there was a Goldman secondaries fund uh, that we did. There was an Oak tree distress credit fund that we did. Um, but yeah, always keeping an eye out for like managed funds. Nice. Um, you like credit funds? I just I understand them more. I think. Yeah, yeah, and it's better. The volatility is not as well, hard to stomach. Well, right? yeah, you can't. It's, it, they're good because you can't sell it. You yeah, know, you're like, locked in. You're it's locked like, right. in. So you know, when the market's like it has been the last couple of months, you're not panic selling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah, it's scary. Danny, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. We'll definitely have you on again. And if uh, where can people find you if they want to reach out, ask you a question? Um, you can just email me. <laughs> You're like, don't talk to me. <laughs> Please don't contact yeah. me. <laughs> I was like, I never offer that. <laughs> uh, yeah, just email me at Danny at Clay Brands, K-L-A-Y Brands.com. Okay, great. That's Danny yeah. at Clay Brands and uh, the CEO and founder of Bold Leads, taking zero to 30 in five years, completely bootstrapped. Thanks again, and thank you for being on the Capital Stack. Yeah, thank you. All right, bye. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Ball is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.